chapter 3 here in a moment. Um, before we go too far in that, I do have a couple things that I want us to acknowledge, make mention of. Um, <clears throat> we're excited to be here like this. I don't know if you're enjoying uh, the possibility of this space, but um, twist the history a little bit for you, a little background. In 1955, this building burned. Um, and in this door right here before this building burned, my grandpa had a jewelry store in this exact square footage, in this exact space. Um, I live in that same grandpa's house. We moved into his home about 10 years ago when my grandma passed away. Uh, we had the opportunity to buy the house. So you guys have been in that house as we've hosted and we've done, we've worshiped together there. Um, and then when, when we got the text a couple weeks ago, said, hey, would you be interested in taking over this space? Because church that has it is shifting gears and doing something different. And I said, well, that's interesting. And as we kind of stepped into this, I'm like, I live in his house. And now we have the potential to worship in his business. And the multi-generational connection for me is, uh, I don't want to let it skew and drive anything, but it's kind of interesting as I reflect. And the cool thing is we haven't driven anything here. The opportunity has been placed in our lap uh, so we consider what God's doing and, and, and how, we, how we handle it. So a little background for you. It's kind of interesting. Um, it's going to be a really cool story as we want to get a little bit of uh, exposure. Uh, I think we can have other people tell that story with a lot of enthusiasm and kind of spread who we are for us, which is hard to get people to do, right? Hard to get other people to talk about you when they don't really know you, but that's a way that I think God might leverage. Uh, second thing is, one of the things we're concerned about as we uh, move out of the home space and into a, a public space uh, was losing what we value over the last couple months, and that's our hospitality, that's our connections in our neighborhoods, how do we maintain that? How do we do that? Well, we talked a little bit last week about what that could look like. <clears throat> so here's what we're going to make available. I have an actual sign-up sheet. I hadn't made one of these in years. Uh, sign-up sheet. Uh, and we're going to plan out the first six months. Thanks to Mark, he said we should probably like go ahead and start start like saying we'll do this month. So once a month, we're we're suggesting that we host what we call missional community. That's a lot of what you've experienced over the last couple months where it's community in your neighborhoods, in your homes, in our everyday spaces, not this space, everyday space. That can be in this town, in your neighborhood, in your home, that can be anywhere. Um, but you're saying, you know what, in the month of March, I want to host our missional community opportunity. So what you're saying when you put your name down here is you're saying, we will plan an opportunity for our people to reach the people within your reach in your everyday life. So it could we have a couple categories. We'll teach you on this in the days to come. Uh, think about how can we eat together, listen to one another, serve others, bless others, celebrate with others, and recreate with others. You may be thinking, you know what? In the month of July, what, what's everybody doing in the month of July? Fourth of July. Fourth of July. It's a, it's a time of celebration. So when you put your name down here, think about what's going on in that season of life. What's already going on in our neighborhoods? What's going on in our community? And how can we tap into that and leverage that to reach people with the gospel? Right? My family shoots fireworks on the 4th of July. We did it without your family last year, but we did invite you. But we did it on your street. Right? That was an opportunity for us to celebrate with our neighbors in a way that lets them feel what it's like to be a part of the family of God for one night. So think about that. As you say, you know what? We have people within our reach that we want to reach. And we are willing to host um, on a certain month. And then we're not going to leave you alone. But we do say that that opportunity is primarily driven by your vision to reach the people within your reach. I'm not going to plan it as your pastor. I'm not going to plan events for how we're going to reach our community. You know the people that you know better than I know. So if you know them better, then why don't you have a vision to connect them to the family of God? Tell them deeper. You can do it. We can help. That's how we're going to operate. That's how we're going to operate. 
Um, so that's going to maintain our family feel, hospitality-driven, generous towards those that live around us, work around us, and play around us, right? So sign up. We've got six months. You can sign up for a month. As we grow, we'll have multiple opportunities per month, and we'll kind of create groups that work together as we grow because we're not going to spend 60 people in one space. So we'll multiply out those groups and give you continual freedom to, to have a vision for the people you live, work, and play around. Okay? Um, second thing. Um, Jessica, Jessica's working with me. Um, she has a list of the Caldwell Elementary office staff. And uh, we, I kind of talked to her this week. How can we be a blessing to the office staff at Caldwell? Uh, and she, she had an idea... What if we wrote an encouraging note to, to each one of the office staff just saying, we value you, we appreciate what you do for our families, for our community. We're praying for you. Praying for you. Um, so uh, I have, I don't know how many names you have. but Seven. I, seven, okay. That's ironic. I've got seven cards ready to go. <laughs> um, can I hand these to you? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to give these to Jessica. There is a blank card in there. If, if one of you would be willing to take one of the names, one of their positions, kind of explains what they do, and just be an encouragement to them, we're going to pair your note to that person with uh, a very simple, practical gift that they'll be using day-to-day in their office. We all like post-it notes. Post-it notes. Post-it notes, pens, you know, just a simple, practical gift with an encouragement um, not trying to give a sales pitch, just saying we value you because you add value to our families, right? So we want to let them know that we're for them uh, in a very simple, practical way. So just one of the ways that we're continually pressing into this elementary school. Uh, I made a comment about somebody yesterday. I said we're just going to love them the best we can until they love Jesus. We're just going to love them over the top until they love Jesus, Right? And this is a very simple, practical way. We're also going to budget about $100 a month that's going to go towards this elementary school. And we're going to spend it. Whether they have a, a very specific need, if they don't have a specific need in food and clothes that month, then we're going to do things like this. So we're just going to, we're just going to be generous towards this people group. Okay? So we're going to budget that out of our funding. We also set up this week, I set up a monthly draft for $100 a month to go towards Richard Alonzo as they plant Bridgetown Church. Okay? So it's not something I go in and click every month. It's something, it's coming out every month. It's coming out on a cycle every month. So we're investing in them, we're pouring into them as they pour into Little Rock. Okay? Um, so, a little bit about what's going on. Help out, encouraging note uh, by doing that. First six months, we want to get people committed to hosting a missional community opportunity. Um, and, and we're not going to leave you alone on that. We're going to help you think through that cast of vision for the people in your life. Okay? But you commit to showing hospitality, and then we'll commit to help you. Cool? All that makes sense? I know that was a lot. I wanted to do that in the most efficient way, but some things we had to cover. I'm not much for announcements, so let's get into teaching. So. Uh, it's almost my wedding anniversary. Shelly, do you know when that is? Yep. <clears throat> March 12th, I March, think. March 12th. <laughs> I used to have it in my wedding ring, but now I have a silicone ring and I, I can't, can't fact check it. Uh, March 12th, 14 years, 2005. So it'll be 14 years on March 12th. 14 years on March 12th. Um, that's interesting. Time flies. Kids multiply. That's how life works. Um, and, and as I read the passage that we're going to address here in a moment, uh, I got to thinking, the word, the word veil comes up in the passage we're about to read. I got to thinking, I was like, I don't think my wife wore a veil on her wedding day. A veil? Didn't have it on my face. She did I, wear a, she did. I, I had a wedding picture on my desk, so I was able to fact check myself, and I was wrong. She did indeed wear a veil, but she did it in a very modern, stylish way that draped off the back, didn't cover her face. So I was wrong about that. Um, but yeah, so concept of veil. Does anybody know the history of the bridal veil? Does anybody know where it came from, what it originally meant, what it was for? Or if you don't know, just take a guess so that we have a good conversation about it. 
So you could swap out the god or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Such a mean trick. <laughs> I think that was in the Bible. I think a father-in-law. Our kids learned that a couple weeks ago. Father-in-law did that in the scriptures. Yeah. Um, kids and, learned about it. Last and week he was able to give away both daughters during that during that process. Um, but Sam does hit on something. It's 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 to cover to 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 keep something covered, right? It could be for deception. Could be. For another reason. Anybody else got a guess? Anybody else got a guess? History of the bridal veil. Derek's shaking his head like, I have no idea. That was the best guess. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Anybody? Nobody else got anything? Nobody? Bueller? Bueller? Let me give you three, three historical uh, things from the bridal veil. Number one, the ancients used to wrap their brides from head to toe to represent the delivery of a modest, untouched maiden. So the bridal veil, apparently in ancient times, was more of a head to toe, here's your mummy, Uh, I don't know. But it was in order to cover her modesty and to present her as untouched. Right? We do that through a white wedding dress, but uh, beforehand, that was... Here is your bride, and she is pure, and she has been kept for you. Okay? Um, so it was a covering to deliver her as modest and untouched. Second, ancient Romans. This one's interesting. Maybe this is more what Sam was talking about. Ancient Romans uh, used to wear them because when a bride walked down the aisle, they veiled her face to disguise her from evil spirits who wanted to thwart her happiness. Right? It's the biggest day in the her, her life, cover her face because evil spirits want to steal her joy. So we're going to cover up, undercover bride, trick the spirits. Okay. Number three, last one I got for you. In arranged marriages, in arranged marriages, they would hide the bride's face from the groom. In the case of our scriptural story from the book of Genesis, maybe you want to give away the ugly daughter first, cover her face, get her married, consummate the marriage, wake up in the morning, <gasps> Leah, <laughs> didn't know I was going to be with you this morning, now let me go back and get the one I desired, um, so in a, in a, uh, in a, what's that word, arranged marriage, hide the bride's face, element of surprise, right, so... There was a veil in the Bible, other than the one in Genesis that we're talking about. Does anybody know what... Well, let me, let me get this. Right about My summary. It hides the good, the bad, and the ugly. ugly. That's what the bridal veil does. Hides the good. She's been kept for you. Pure, innocent, the bad... Um, let's keep away the evil spirits, the ugly. <laughs> let's let you wake up after it's consummated, and then we'll deal with that. Um, anybody else know another vital or another veil in the scripture? Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies. Oh, so the temple veil. That's interesting. I had not thought about that. So thank you for rocking my boat this morning. A little drop. Yeah, Jesus tore the veil that covered the holy place in the temple. Well, since Sean has completely derailed the rest of my message, does anybody have in mind the one that I was thinking of? There's another veil in scripture. Moses. 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 Anybody got the backstory of that? Yeah, it's like his face shone so bright that they're like, hey man, cover that up. Wearing it, even though it faded because he was ashamed that it faded. Mm. Yeah, so Moses in Exodus, book of Exodus, he goes to the top of Mount Sinai meets face-to-face with God. God says, I talk to Moses face-to-face like I talk to a friend. Nobody else gets to talk to me like that. Nobody else gets to see me like that, but Moses does. Now Moses came down from Mount Sinai after meeting face-to-face with God. His face was bright red. The glory of God had caused him to sunburn, so to speak. Not really sunburn, but it was, it was a continual radiation of the glory of God that he had seen now shown off of him as a reflection. God's glory. And like Derek said, the people are like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see it. 
which is really interesting. We're going to get into that here in a second. But they, they made him veil his face so that they didn't have to see the impact of the glory of God in Moses' face on a day-to-day basis. So they veiled it. You need to cover up that thing that's good. Um, so yeah, that's Exodus 34. Moses face-to-face with God, veil, glowing face. People, It says directly, this is the quote, the people were afraid to come near him. The people were afraid to come near to Moses because his face was radiating in such a way from seeing the glory of God. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And uh, he's going to make reference of Moses and give a little bit of his own comments concerning that. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death Chiseled in letters on stone came with glory. What's he talking about? Chiseled on letters of stone. What's he talking about? Ten Commandments. Moses on Mount Sinai received the Ten Commandments from God on stone. Remember, he comes down. What was that movie? Right, he comes down. Ten Commandments. <laughs> you're 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 no longer a part of this church. <laughs> Do we have a muzzle in this? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So. Um, so he's, he's up there, receives the Ten Commandments. Now the ministry that brought death, chiseled on letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to, to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what we set aside, talking about the old law that came with glory, if that was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory that was to be set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted because it's set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as, a, as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and are, behold, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So right now you're thinking, that was complex, and I don't understand anything you just said. You will by the end. You will by the, by the end. Question number one, what is glory? A word came up about 600 times. In that passage, so we need to define it to understand it. What is glory? Anybody got it? Funny thing is, everybody has an idea, but nobody wants to be wrong right now, so somebody be wrong first. Go ahead. It's like self-existing honor. Got it. In- inherent worthiness. I'm going to pick out what Sam just said because honor is in my definition and it was in his too. Perfection. Perfection. Like the word God is perfect. So it's, it's proclaiming, it's, it's an acknowledgement of his perfection, perfection. holiness, um, the fact that there's nobody else like him. Yeah. Right? Greatness. Greatness. Because he's great, he deserves honor. Because he's perfect and holy, he deserves honor. Right? So I think all those are right. All those are tied together. Anybody else got a, another another word that if you look it up in your Bible dictionary, it uses the word renown, which is kind of tied to everything you just said as well. Um, renown. But, but here's what... <clears throat> a lot of times in the Hebrew... Uh, so when, when the Bible was written originally and the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew language. And, and the Hebrew language does something unique that our English language doesn't. 
And a lot of times when you go back and you understand what they meant in Hebrew, it, it paints a picture for you. It paints a picture. And I think glory does the same thing in Hebrew. <clears throat> and here's, here's kind of what you get. It means weight. Glory means weight. That it is weighty or heavy. Something is weighty, it's heavy. So you know what it means that to, to, to be in a weighty situation, right? Not like waiting in the office down there when you're trying to get your tags, but I mean, but I mean like weight. It's like when something feels weighty, what do you mean? It's just, it presses in on you, creates a burden. It's weighty. Um, glory has that, that image being painted originally. So let me give you an illustration Suppose I'm in a boat. I'm, in, I'm, I'm at my house. I'm in a my flat bottom boat, sitting there in my boat, and I got two stones with me. Two stones of equal size, but they're made out of different types of stones. So obviously they weigh different, right? But they look the same. They're the same size, but they have a different density. So therefore they have a different weight. Question at hand is how can I have how can I tell which one weighs more without using a scale? If I'm sitting in my flat bottom boat, middle of my pond, two stones, same size, different weight, how do I tell which one weighs more without using a scale? Put one in each hand. It's kind of a scale. Kind of a scale. What's a tangible way that without using my body as a scale? Remember, remember where I'm at. Where Fill am I? them in the water and save his life. Displacement. Fill them in the water. Drop both of them in the water. I can take both stones, drop both of them in the water, and the one that rocks my boat more has more glory. Right? The one that rocks my boat more is more glorious than the other one. has more weight. Because the weightier one creates more ripples, more waves, and has more impact on my boat. Israel knew exactly what Paul wanted us to know in 2 Corinthians. Israel, when we were dealing with Moses, and they didn't want to see Moses' face, no one rocks the boat more than God. Specifically Jesus. And because of that, they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to see it. Look here, here's, here's, I stole these thoughts out of a commentary, but they're so good that I'm going to share them with you. Number one, when Moses was alone with God, what did he do with the veil? What did he do? Took it off. When he was with God on Mount Sinai, meeting with God, hearing from God, he removed the veil so that they could be face to face. Second thing, when Moses had a message from God to give to the people, what did he do with this veil? Took it off again. The glory of God affirmed what he was saying as a prophet to the people. So when he stood before you, like I stand before you today, he said, I met with God face to face. Here's what he said. Now I'm going to tell to you, and the glory of God that comes from me affirms what I'm telling to you. Number three, when they were walking around camp in everyday life, what did Moses do with the veil? Put it back on. So interesting to me. When I meet with God, I take it off. When I speak to you for God, I take it off. But when we're walking around everyday life in the camp, Moses, cover that up. I want to see it. I want to deal with it. It's in the everyday stuff that they did not want to recognize the weightiness of God because God rocks your boat more than anybody else. And that's okay on Sunday. That's okay from your soapbox or your pulpit, Moses. That's okay in your alone time with God. But when we're at work, when we're in the camp, when we're at the house, why don't you cover that up? Because I don't want you to rock my boat in everyday life. That's where the veil came in. In his everyday, ordinary life, the people wanted him veiled. Paul says, 
2 Corinthians 3, that you look into the glory of God as if looking into a what? A mirror. Right? I'm really good at drawing pictures in 30 seconds, so here we go. That was sarcasm. Apparently you people don't appreciate that. I've become vulnerable for you. For your good. Why is he hugging the mirror? He's holding. He's holding the mirror. See, this is what happens. When I become vulnerable, you take cheap shots at me and make me feel... Paul says the glory of God's like looking into a mirror. Check. I'm, I'm going to rock your world because it rocked my world. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I believe after reading Exodus and after reading Paul's comments in 2 Corinthians, I believe that Israel's problem was not with what they saw in God. Their problem was with what they saw in themselves. When you come face to face with the glory of God, more times than not, our problem is not the glory of God. Our problem is that it becomes a mirror, and I don't like what I see in myself. Cover it up. I don't want to face what I see in myself. I don't want to be exposed like that. Moses, you can do that on Sunday, but it's Monday. And I gotta go to work, and I gotta deal with my family, and I gotta walk around the camp, and I don't want to be reminded of who I am on Monday because don't rock my boat. But it's a mirror. And the people didn't have a problem with God, they had a problem with what they saw in themselves. And that's what the glory of God does when He becomes a mirror. So they learn to minimize the rocking of the boat by separating Moses' preaching from everyday life. That's what they did. They were able to mentally separate what Moses said to the crowd from what happened in the crowd. It, it's like this self-preservation um, just what you do to protect yourself. So you don't have to deal with it. You don't have to acknowledge it. You don't have to change it. Right? And that's, I think that's what's so difficult about us. It's like, when we meet in everyday spaces, like our homes, we kind of got to deal with it. But when we have a commercial space in a public setting, we can separate it mentally, compartmentalize our lives a little bit better. Josh said something really offensive to me about the glory of God today. But you know what? When I walk out that door back into the everyday space, we're going to cover it up. And we don't have to face to face with it. We don't have to really deal with it. Right? Israel did that a long time ago. 3,500 years ago. And 3,500 years later, we still did this really well. We still do it really well. What do you think, what did Moses' face reveal that Israel did not want to see in themselves? What do you think? What did Moses' face reveal? Because when they looked at Moses' face, it became a mirror to themselves. What do you think it revealed that they didn't really want to see in themselves? Maybe an intimacy with God that he had that they didn't. Okay. So now, in this, they're like, Moses talks face to face with God, and mm-hmm. I hadn't heard his voice in ever. regrets. Personal regrets. Yep. Glory of God brings us to the surface, right? What else? What do you think Moses' face revealed that they didn't want to see? Doors work. They say there's not a little hole in the wall, but I see little eyeballs peeking at me. I guess this goes along with regrets, but maybe they could be like how little time they actually spend with him. Like they reminded that, you know, I gotta keep getting better at this, but I just I'll get around to it later. So maybe, maybe a lack of we could go with a lot of words. Faithfulness, commitment, communication. Communication with God. Something like that, maybe. Uh, Okay. 
Anything else? What do you think Moses' face revealed that they didn't want to see? And the good thing is, you're talking about Israel, not yourself right now. So it's okay. Right? It's okay. We're talking about somebody else 3,500 years ago. We're making assumptions about their life, and this doesn't have to be personal. Right? What do you think they... Possibilities? Possible. What do you mean by that? Like maybe fear of what he could make possible? Mm. So if you think about the life of Moses, I don't know how many eyes there are, but let's get more. If you think about the life of Moses, I think that's a really good thing because Moses is like, let's go! And everybody else is like, let's go back! <laughs> When I look at Moses and I see his courage and his boldness and his faithfulness, it's like, ah, I've got to deal with my faithlessness. I've got to deal with my fear. I've got to deal with the fact that this man believes something more than I do. There's possibilities in his mind and in his heart that I don't think are possible. And looking into his red face reminds me of that every day. No doubt you want to cover that up. Rocks your boat. Right? Um, I wonder if we do the same thing. You knew this was coming. So, I wonder if we do the same thing. And I spelled that wrong again, Chuck. I wonder. So, I wonder if we do the same thing. We intentionally minimize what we see of God to minimize what we see of ourselves. Right? It's not that God's not revealing Himself, it's that we cover it up so that we don't have to deal with ourselves. It's like if I can minimize my exposure to the glory of God, the reality of God, then I, I, I get to minimize my exposure to myself. If I can minimize how much I see of God, I minimize how much I really don't know Him. If I minimize my exposure to the glory of God, I minimize my regrets of my past or current mistakes. I don't have to deal with them. If I minimize exposure, I minimize how much I actually don't speak to or hear from Him like others do. And we can minimize potential. What's potential? I'm hoping the definition comes to me before you don't know it but I've got it somewhere in my head. Potential is like untapped talent, untapped. And, and the goal in your life and the goal in your faith is to eliminate your potential so that you maximize the results. If somebody says you have a lot of potential, that means you're not doing squat. Right? I mean, it's good for a two-year-old but for a 20-year-old, you should be have more results than potential. Because when you hit 25 and you haven't tapped into your potential, you're wasting your God-given possibilities. Right? So if you're 35 and your wife says, baby, you got a lot of potential, that means you're lazy and you need to get off your rear and pursue life. Try something. Right? That's what that means, possibilities. Somebody that has great faith has great possibilities. And if I don't come face to face with God, I don't have to deal with the fact that I've wasted mine. Still got a lot of potential when I'm 45. Killing it. Right. I'm not going to ask you this question. Let me give you the answer. This would be a great question to ask, though. But I don't want to make you think that hard this morning. What do we veil... How do we veil the glory of God, right? I'm going to say our veil that we use, we veil Him with tradition. We veil the glory of God with familiarity. We veil the glory of God with religious duties. We veil the glory of God with, I love this one, Christian catchphrases. We veil the glory of God with busyness. 
If we just maintain traditions, get up on Sunday, get your donuts, and go to church, but we don't get too personal with the glory of God, it's a good veil. Right? Because it looks good on the outside. We're maintaining the structure of our traditions. If we maintain familiarity, then the glory of God doesn't rock my boat. Just Let's just go through the motions of what's familiar, and let's not actually uncover things that are unfamiliar that God may want to say or do. Because when you uncover that, you come face to face with your lack of faith or your regrets or all those things. Religious duties? Let's serve in the sound booth. Check my religious duties off and say, man, I'm a faithful Christian. Never come face to face with the glory of God and what He might want to do in your everyday life. Because he wants to rock your boat in everyday life. But when on Sunday, Moses say whatever you want. Because I'm in the sound booth. But when I get out of the sound booth and I go back to camp and I go back to work. We're going to put a veil on it and say I did that on Sunday. I did well. I did well. But the weightiness of God wants to rock your boat in everyday life. But we're going to cover that up because of those duties. Christian catchphrases. Ooh, I love this one. And they're so good in Saline County. Man, if we could just learn that God is good all the time, all the time God is good, and I can just say that when people are hurting or when I'm scared, if I can just say it over and over and over, I really don't have to deal with the weightiness and the goodness and the power of God because I memorized some really good catchphrases that I just blurt out in order to veil the glory of God. I'm hurting. You just give that to God. Lay it at His feet. What does that mean? How do I do that? God is good all the time. All the times God is good. What does that mean? Family members are dying. I'm in depression. You just want to give me some cool catchphrases so that I don't have to uncover the power and the weightiness of who God really is. All right? Just throw these around. It's a veil. It's a covering. Busyness. Business. How do I tap into the glory of God? Well, I just, man, I work 12 hours a day. Come home, I got four kids. Just too busy to do anything that would expose me to the glory of God. Right? Busy, busy, busy. How you doing? I'm busy. Didn't we have a message about that one day? I think we did. Yeah. Busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy. Busy, busy. How you doing, Tony? Busy. Busy, busy. <laughs> I'll give you one more illustration. This is this is first or second Corinthians. This is my drawing of Second Corinthians chapter three. Okay. Anybody remember geometry? Just a little bit. I was really bad at it, but I remember it. Okay. Protractor? Is that the right word? Yes. 180 degrees? So here's what Paul's saying in picture form, because you guys are better at picture books than you are reading books, and the Bible doesn't have any pictures. They should have, Paul should have put this in there. Here you have... Old glory that came with Moses, written on the stones, Ten Commandments. He said, if that came with glory, which it did, because when Moses received it, he came back and he was glowing, and the people were like, woohoo, that was cool, but I want to see it on Monday morning, right? <laughs> so that's the old glory that came on tablets of stone, and here we are, living in the New Testament times where we have a new glory that surpasses the old glory. It's bigger, better, badder, more powerful, more intimate. You could, everybody can have it in Jesus. right? This glory passed away. It was old. It was temporary. It came in stone. This glory is newer, better, bigger. comes in the Spirit and you receive it in Jesus. Okay? And if Moses shined, how much more with the new glory might we shine radiant? Okay, so that's not the end of my drawing. I just forgot what my notes say. So here we go. Don't you envy those pastors that just have everything built in? That's not me. 
Alright, so, all glory, according to Paul, is, is rocked by fear. Right? That old glory caused fear. And I think somebody hit on this earlier. Maybe it was Zach. Condemnation. Oh, glory brought condemnation. Guilt. Showed your flaws. Oh, glory was marked by slavery. I take that because he says the new glory is marked by freedom. Whoever's in Christ has been set free, so therefore the old glory must have created a sense of slavery. The old glory had an obsession with things that were temporary. He said, this old glory is passing away. It's not going to last. It was just temporary. Um, so, that's the old glory. It's marked by fear, condemnation, slavery, and an obsession with the temporary. The new glory is marked by boldness. He said, now, in the Spirit, because of Christ, we are bold. Uh, the new one is marked by a sense of life at the fullest. Jesus calls out abundant life. Uh, new glory is righteousness. Somebody give me a definition for righteousness. What's the first five letters? Right. Right with who? With what? With God. Righteousness. Right with God. And it's undeserved righteousness. It's not coming through condemnation, feeling better, and doing better. It's a free gift. It's like you're right with God in the new glory. And the new glory is also marked by everlasting treasures. Not temporary stuff, but everlasting treasure. So here's the, here's the journey here, right? All of us are somewhere. All of us are somewhere. We're on, we're on this, we use the word journey a lot. You're on a journey, you're going forward, you're going backwards. You're, you're never stagnant, you're always moving. You're either making progress or you're making regress, right? And sometimes we take two steps forward in our journey with Christ, and then we find ourselves taking three steps back, but then He propels us forward. You know, it's just it's this dance that we're doing in this life. We never arrive, we're always somewhere it's like you can look back in your life. I think Mark and I had this conversation one day on a run. You can always look back and you're like, or looking, looking at myself now, you're like, I don't know if I'm doing anything. But then I look back 12 months ago and you're like, I'm a new I'm not that person. But looking at myself now, I'm like, I don't want to be me, but I'm, I'm not who I was. But then I can always look forward and say, you know what, I'm not who I will be either. Right? We, we, just, we have this multiple perspectives wherever we're at. Um... Here's what happens. Jesus, Jesus, and this whole thing of old glory, new glory, Jesus comes, and then with the bell, we're going to tie it all together. Jesus comes. And the scriptures say he is a groom. He has come as a groom to receive his bride. He says, Those who believe become his bride. Man, it's, it's, it's not an offense on your masculinity to be the bride of Christ. It is a joy that he has come to receive his bride. And here's what he does when he comes and when you first believe. When you hear the message of Jesus that he takes his sin upon you, he doesn't condemn you, but he frees you. When he comes, he, he comes to you and, and he takes that veil as on your wedding day and he takes it off of you. And he says, you don't need this anymore. Your groom has come. You don't need to be veiled anymore. Because I am yours and you are mine. He says, when you first... And, and, and here's what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, And now, because of that, we all with unveiled face... Remember? Jesus removes that. All with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus comes and He says, Andrew, 
going to remove this veil from your face. You don't need any more, man. And the face that you see in Jesus as he removes your covering, in that moment, you begin a process. So long as you don't veil him again, don't veil him again, the longer you gaze into the face of your groom, you are transformed into His image one degree at a time. One degree of glory after one degree of glory after one degree of glory. Two things that we're tempted to do. See the face of Jesus and put our veil back on so that we don't have to deal with ourselves. Because an initial shock happens and you're rocked by fear. You're rocked by condemnation. You feel like he wants to enslave you with more rules and regulations. You are uh, obsessed with the temporary and he's obsessed with eternal and you don't want to deal with those things. So when you see Jesus, number one temptation, let's cover that back up. Because I don't like what I see in myself. It's not about Jesus, it's about you. Number two temptation you allow Him to uncover you and you begin to make process and you begin to move one degree at a time and you're, you're on this journey and you're one degree at a time and then you look in the mirror one day and you're like, this ain't working. I don't see enough change in my life. I don't see enough happening. And then you're like, let's just go back cover it up again. Obviously it's not working. What you're not recognizing is He's changing you one degree of glory from one degree of glory. It's not always a 180 shift in two days. Sometimes it's minute shifts that you don't even recognize because you can't see two degrees. You can't see three degrees. But if you will continue to gaze into the face of your groom, one degree after another, when they compile, you can see 15. And then you look in the mirror, and then you take a look back. You're, you're up here now, and then you look back here, and you're like, oh, I used to be there, but I don't even know when this happened, but somehow I have gotten here. But then you keep looking at Jesus, who is way over here, and you're like, I'm not there, but I want to look back and recognize I'm not there, so if I keep looking, I bet I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. If I fight the temptation to veil it again, because number one, it initially feels like this. It initially feels like Jesus has come with a cosmic guilt trip and he wants to ruin your life because he rocks your boat. But the longer I gaze into the face of my groom, the more I realize he's not doing this. He's not doing this. That's just what I see in myself. He's doing this. He wants to bring life, life to the fullest. He wants you to store up treasure in heaven. He wants you to have righteousness with God that is so free you don't understand it. And He wants you to move more and more out of slavery and into freedom. As you walk with Jesus, ask yourself that question. Am I more free today than I was a year ago? Or do I feel more enslaved by something that's not Jesus? Am I more enslaved by religious duties, by traditions, by busyness? What, what, or am I increasing in freedom? So here it is. One degree of glory after one degree of glory. The longer you unveil, fight the tendency to cover it up, or you look face to face with Jesus, more you begin to look like Jesus. Removing the old glory that nobody wanted to deal with. Receiving a new glory that surpasses anything Moses brought. So much greater. So much greater. So practically, here's, here's your practical application. Remember the Hold that book up as an illustration because that's, that's our practical application. 21 dangerous prayers. It's a prayer of God. 21 days. 
if you do one every day. I don't do them every day, so let me remove you from your religious duties and say I do one about every four days, and I found a lot of value in it. I'm not enslaved to having to fit somebody else's pattern, but I do say that there's a process of meditating through prayer. Pray daily, but I'm not saying do this book daily. This book is not the new glory, right? But I have found that that book's a very useful tool. Not that it's unique, it just gives you a passage of scripture, gives you a couple thoughts, and it gives you five questions to ask yourself every day. Five questions to ask yourself every day, and as you ask those questions, you become... You pray those, you pray your answers, you pray those questions back. And here's what has happened for me, is engaging in that and praying that way has been a very practical way for me to remove the veil and to view into the face of Jesus and to let him move me a couple degrees as I engage in that process. Okay? Does that make sense? Set aside my busyness. Set aside whatever catchphrase I want to throw on the wound. Let's take the veil off. Spend some time with Christ and let Him change me one degree at a time. I have found that that happens when I engage in this prayer process. Okay? So question number one that he asks, I'm not going to dwell on this long, I just want to, when you open the book, there's five questions that happen every day. The first question that you'll encounter each time, what are you learning he said, what are you learning? And it has been amazing for me to ask that question to myself on a regular basis. What am I learning? What's God teaching me? And I don't mean learning like facts. This is, I'm doing it with Micah too. And she wants to tell me the facts that she's learning. I'm like, oh. We're not talking about facts. I'm talking about lessons. What are you learning? What's God teaching you? What have you seen? What are you coming to understand? Right? Don't tell me you learned 1 Corinthians 13 by memory. I'm saying, what have you learned through experience by understanding through knowledge and gaining wisdom? What are you learning deeply rooted into who you are? Right? And I've asked myself as I've gone through this process. And every day I have a new answer. Sometimes they're connected, sometimes not. Here's my number one thing that I'm learning. Stinking Whitney in her book. She told me to read The Alchemist. And he said this, at the end of the book, it's just a Q&A time with, a, with the author and, and the question person. <laughs> the author, <laughs> uh, that was, anyways, um, so he asked him a question, he says, the author says, we have to get rid of the notion of time. That's what he said to the one of the answers in the question, or one of his quotes in the book. The author of The Alchemist says, we have to get rid of the notion of time. And I read that in a season of my life when the process and the deadlines and the timeline defined me. As we were starting a church, and I said, we want to be here by then, we want to do this by then, we should be making this progress by now. And it defined if we're winning or losing, and then if we're winning or losing, defines how I feel about myself, and it defines everything, and the deadlines and the timelines push me around like a wave that's just knocking me out. And when he said, we must learn to get rid of the notion of time, it caused me to think about God's eternal nature. He was, He is, and He always will be. He doesn't change. He's the Alpha, He's the Omega, the beginning and the end. God's in, in heaven, and He doesn't own a watch. He's not looking at me, saying, dang, dude, I thought y'all would be further by now. I'm the one that says that. Can my life be marked by faithfulness, not by a timeline? i got to get to that place. i got to get to that place. And here's what happens. That question, what are you learning? Combined with that quote, we must learn to get rid of the notion of time. That was Jesus removing a veil from my face and saying, look at me for a moment. Would you just look at me? I don't care about your timeline. I don't own a watch. I'm outside of time. 
you created time in order to measure your productivity. He set me free from the concept of time so that I could be faithful one day at a time and I could enjoy one day at a time. But that was a very painful process because when he removed that veil with that question, I immediately felt condemned for thinking wrongly. I immediately felt like I was a slave to the timeline. I immediately realized that I was obsessed with things that are temporary. But the longer I stayed in the process and the more I meditated on the reality and the truth of Jesus, the more I have begun to move in that thinking and I have been set free from the timeline. We have begun to celebrate our treasure in heaven that He is doing in this group of people and that He wants to do in this group of people. We celebrate daily things that we get to put our hands to. I go to work and I paint trim. I go to work and I install this cabinet or I do this and I find a lot of joy in it to where I used to mourn that I'm having to do temporary things when I need to be doing eternal things. And God's just like, I'm giving you good gifts every day and you're obsessed with the timeline that is stealing your joy and your freedom. Here's what happens. You're going to look. It's going to reveal something about you. You're not going to like it. But if you'll just trust Jesus, trust the process, gaze into His goodness, one degree at a time, it will bring you around to His image. And you will be transformed to the image of Christ. Or you can walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm just going to keep up the traditions. Busy, busy, busy. Busy, busy, busy. Did you read that book? No, man. I'm busy, 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 busy. Busy, busy. Did you meditate on the goodness of God? No, I'm busy, man. You don't understand how much I got going on. You want to understand something? Got, I'm starting a business. I got four kids and I'm starting a church. Let's compare busyness right now. We're all busy. Okay? You transfer. So I'm going to ask that question right now. I've talked a lot more than I usually do. I'm going to ask this question. What are you learning? It's like a real question for real answers. What are you learning? So next time, you're like, maybe that's a metaphorical question that we're all reflecting on and we'll go home and we'll think about it some more. No. What are, you, what are you learning? What are you learning? I feel like I'm still, which I, I feel like I share this a lot, but like when I, I like your diagram, because I'm like, I see that in my life. Um, but like reflecting back on a year ago, and just, there was a lot of struggle there with mastering this, but the intensity of the struggle of seeing what God was calling, not realizing what God was calling me out of, um, but seeing how much more freedom that I've received in Christ over the last year for me, that is what I see the change. Um, but I didn't realize I was not experiencing the freedom in Christ that he was wanting to give me um, because I was so, so caught up in probably more so like religious duties and, <laughs> and just familiarity and just stuff like that. But I still thought there's just a deception there. But, um, but then when Christ did start reflecting his image towards me. There was that initial fear and there was that condemnation and there was that this is this hurts. Like this hurts going through this process. Um and the things that I had to deal with and battle with. Um but I'm like hey, I can reflect back on a year ago and I'm like, I have so much more freedom in Christ than I did a year ago. Still a long ways ago. <laughs> but it's like see that. I can see that in my own life. Um, and the freedom is the one that keeps sticking out to me because I feel like that's I put myself back in in slavery all the, you know, and Christ is just constantly like I'm offering you freedom to me. You know. What are you learning? Um <laughs> I've noticed like that that diagram is perfect because like like this the past couple like weeks or so like because you know like, I'm around like the one year mark for me and here we're past it now and it's been a lot of reflection lately and uh, 
it feels like I've barely inched forward, but at the same time, looking at just myself a year ago, a little over a year ago, being in a different town and everything, like it is cool to see that, uh, even though it's painfully slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also noticing and learning that I guess more of my natural tendencies to get away from that growth and what's hindering like, the speed of, of that growth. And, uh, I try to make myself thrive in busyness. So I create activities, even if with good intention. And if I don't have those, then I start to freak out. And I neglect having that time of meditation. And this, yeah, I'm only one page into that, one day into that book. Uh, I took one day of the week to do that. Can I give you a condemnation guilt trip? No, I'm just... <laughs> yeah, go for it. No, um, but it's like, one, I, I start thinking, it's like, well, one, why have, I, why have I only done a day? And also, like, why is it so hard to even make that day happen? It's because I, mm-hmm. I put so many other things. Like, well, I need to be doing this. I need, you know, and if I'm not, then something's not right. And it's like I'm not allowing myself to meditate on what, what God's calling me to do and what God's trying to teach me. And that makes that... That scale is super slow. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a good opportunity to start learning to, to be still, even for a moment, and to learn. Asking yourself, what am I learning? Allows you, number one, to, to be corrected by your Heavenly Father, but number two, it allows you to rejoice in those two degrees that you've moved. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm learning today. <laughs> <laughs> this was a learning because yeah. for the past little while, it's just kind of been hard to look at where I've wanted to be at and where I am at. And I've been focused on that so much that I haven't looked at where I was at a few months ago and you know, the past few years, not even being plugged in with the church. And then, like, it took one week coming in here. And then it was just like, I'm ready for the next week to be with that group and to be worshiping and to grow. And I lose track of that every once in a while. I look at where I want to be at. And I just go, have I done anything yet? But today, after just having this right here, I was able to reflect just throughout this and be like, yeah, I have grown. Yeah. I'd say for us and even say our family unit, Back when we lived at Perryville, so we were small traditional church. Seemed like we really wasn't working for us, you know. Going back to, to traditions of it and everything, we talked about it. We want more, you know. We want something different, something more out of church. And we met you guys just when we moved over here, and it seemed like the right thing. And uh, I'd say from this from this message here, you know. Um, we, we're getting more out of it, but in like this, when you re- remove that veil, it's kind of putting you out there. We wanted more. We're, I think we're getting more. Mm-hmm. Now we got to take that step and do more. Yeah. Yeah, what is it, like day three that was, I, I don't know, day three or four where it was like, ask God what He wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I want more, but what am I willing to give more of? Yeah. Yeah. And then you shift that focus. Yeah. And then it's not about what you're giving, it's what you're giving. Mm-hmm. And there's freedom. Yep. Tony, you've really outlived that small church setting at this point. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll, if it's God's will, we'll outlive that. Yeah. So. Um, engage in the process. Remove the veil. Whatever your veil is. Let it be removed. Understand that initially the glory of God may reflect back on you and feel a little shocking. Stay in it. Stay in it. One degree at a time. This becomes your reality. You'll move out of slavery and into freedom, out of condemnation and into a free righteousness that you don't deserve. you got to stay in it. Fight the tendencies that we all have. Don't be, don't be like Israel. And that glory was good on Sunday. It's time to get back to work on Monday. Let's cover it up.
covered up. It's that day-to-day, everyday space. God really rocks your boat, changes your world, and transforms who you are. I want to pray with you. Um, unless something happens today, could looks like it'll be the last day we tear down. We're going to put everything in the empty room where the kids are right now so that Grace Point could come in and take what belongs to them this week and then we could set up and make this place our own after that. Okay, It's kind of like the wedding moment again. If anybody has a reason to object, you know, we can talk about that after we pray and the mic's turned off, right? Let me pray for you.